Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at Steve NFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers. And this was supposed to be me and Daryl, the two Paddy Packers, uh, but we're having technical difficulty. And by that, I mean when I called them up, it seemed like it answered, but then there was just uncontrollable weeping sound on the other end of the line. So I just had to hang up and do this on my own. Look, it's a tough day. It's a tough week to be a Packers fan. Why do we let it bother us so much? We're a bunch of sad acts, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, my my Twitter mentions, personally, has been an absolute dumpster fire. In fact, this is what it sounded like uh, after the game. Don't move. Stay where you are. Take your skull. I took an absolute spanking. Uh, so here's my tweet. I'm going to say this now ahead of time. You see where this is going. I think the Packers destroyed the Niners tomorrow, and I won't even be close. Go, Petco. Um, so 73 retweets, 1,194 likes, and probably the 29 quote tweets were after the game. And then everyone was in my mentions, uh, shellacking me. I stand by the sentiment. Stand by it. Um, the Packers, you know, you can look into the, We've all been through it, and I don't want to rehash all stuff because I'm not going to spend too much time in this podcast actually talking about the game. But 10 points in Lambeau Field at home with Aaron Rodgers, with Z back, with Jair back. You know, David Bakhtiar was supposed to play, but they didn't. They inexplicably shuffled around the O-line, which didn't work the last time. You know, it was just one thing after another. It's crazy. And we should have ran through them like uh, butter through a knife. Because the thing is, and this is what I was saying to people, because, of course, hashtag science, right? You had these people coming up to me and saying, can't believe you said that. Oh, you're going to get it now after the game. If that doesn't go your way, yada, yada. Look, I understand and I know people are wearing their, you know, frilly knickers in a certain position on their face just to make sure that the Packers win the game. But nothing I say, and this will come as a shock to some people, particularly one, nothing I say has any impact or bearing on the game. And I said in the prior previous podcast, which was fun to say actually, um, that if the Packers lose this game, this is on the Packers because this game is here for the for the taking. Here for the taking for obvious reasons. Uh, the firepower that Aaron Rodgers had, you know, we've Devontae Adams, we've Aaron Jones, we've AJ Dillon. And literally all of those parts started to fall away in this game. And there's even a meme out there. Like, the thing is, even if... This is what really annoyed me, right? Is that Niners fans tried to come at me after the game. Now, this is very Matt Ramage territory where he puts himself out there and then gets annihilated. I'll take me skull, right? And I'll take it. It's fine. I'm a big boy. Um, but what really annoyed me was, it's literally like you're running a marathon and the lead guy, you know, collapses or, or gets hit by a train or something, or lightning. And you're the guy who's last and everybody else gets mowed out of it by just random national disasters or a stomach bug. And you're the last man standing and you fall over the line and you win by default. That's what this game felt like. And you can say what you like about, oh, they're outplayed, no coach. Not. No, it's just, you know, there's a couple of circumstances in this game. There's a couple of things that people are ragging on Aaron Rodgers for, Matt LaFleur for, uh, and things that I understand. First off, in their game plan was AJ Dillon. He was on special teams. He gets knocked out. Now, what did we literally say on a prior podcast? If he puts the starters on special teams and they get injured and it impacts the game, well, then he's up for a shellacking. That's exactly what happened. But what choice did he have? Because we saw the problem that happened with special teams. So am I mad at him that AJ Dillon got injured? No, uh, you know, he was doing what he could do, all that jazz. Um, am I upset that because there's all these plays surfacing now 
that. Look at this guy who's open and that guy who's open. That's just the way the game is. It's not only Aaron's fault. He will admit fault. He's the quarterback of the team. But what I would say with that is, is that, you know, no one would be moaning or bitching about it, uh, you know, had it just continued to work. And that's obvious. But what I mean is, is that if you look on that opening drive um, and look at the receptions that Devontae Adams had and how he was getting open and the way they schemed them open and the, the balls that Aaron was throwing to him in the coverage that he had, you know, it was advantageous. So you're going to go to your best target and it was working. And even Aaron said in a post-game presser, he says, I don't think we even had a third down on the first drive. And that was true. Um, they marched down the field seemingly with ease and they were doing it again for the second time. And then it led to that um, fumble uh, by Mercedes Lewis, which is uncharacteristic um, because, you know, it was a phrase again of the podcast, oh, Mercedes Lewis is good for a couple of a couple of plays, you know. And this was a guy who'd angry run and he'd hold on to the ball. The ball security was great and he'd run people over. And who comes in and punches the ball out? Fred Warner, the guy who's supposed to be injured, right? And, you know, and that was another thing, like after the game it was like, oh, I can't believe the Packers lost against the banged up Niners team. This is an absolute disgrace. And then, of course, Niners fans who, you know, fair weather fans, obviously, because they're like, oh, how were we banged up? And you're like, oh, well, you know, if you don't know, I, I can't tell you, you know. And anyway, I thought it would have suited them to say they were banged up and they still bet the Packers team, which again would have been true. But I stand by the sentiment. Um, the, the fact that the Packers lost this game is a shocker and the Packers beat themselves. If you only score 10 points in your home stadium, in the conditions that you're in, against the hot weather, this is the coldest game Jimmy Garoppolo's ever played in, and he played horribly. Um, their offense and their defense didn't score a single point in this game. All 13 points came by way of special teams with that punt return, you know all this, that punt return and then field goals. We had a field goal blocked, uh, and if you just look, you know, it's just absolutely shocking stuff. So I got rinsed for that tweet. Um, and I don't mind taking the ribbon and you know what was even funnier was that these Niners fans were like quote tweeting it and jiffing it with like oh we are laughing and it didn't get a single like so I was thinking we really it's not just you on your own talking to nobody oh sour grapes um, so yeah look it, the, the game is what it is uh, it, it's all the Packers fault simply um, and I have every faith this is not going to happen now I'm waiting to see this will find its way onto cold takes too but I have every faith that the Niners will get absolutely trounced in the next round because they're one of those pretender teams for sure and they stumbled their way as far as they did um, kind of moving past the game but focusing on it a little bit is the comments that Aaron Rodgers made after the game and this is why I think this is the overarching reason why I believe this team lost um, and it seems like nonsense and it seems too simplistic. But every time the Packers have lost under Matt LaFleur, and it hasn't been a lot, is because they've went into a situation overconfident. They think they can just steamroll the team. Which is why it's alarming uh, when after the game you see Aaron Rodgers and everybody really. That's why us fans, that's why no one can listen to podcasts. No one can, like Twitter apparently is like being people's worst nightmare because with the algorithm... Uh, and the way it works it just keeps shoving stuff up onto the top of the timeline and um, one of the tweets that I put out from the group account was like look we're nine minutes away from the NFC Championship game we're seven minutes away from the NFC Championship game because we were winning we looked like it was in command I wasn't saying where we're going to get there but I was like if we can hang on we're only seven minutes away so hang in there folks didn't happen um, and we're all shell-shocked it's because we could see the disparity anyone who's going to pretend like oh well the Niners were a tougher team jog on because you know the everything everything fell wrong it, it was just a it was a train wreck again it was just as bad and some people are saying worse as the nfc championship game against the seahawks sorry to bring up another sore point on the pod but it was 
It was just between AJ Dillon getting knocked out, between Rogers not finding people, between special teams being the thing that killed us in the end. Because I just didn't buy into the whole thing of like, oh, that's the thing that will down us. Because I said before this game, like, don't give them good field position because we'll hammer them if we don't, which is exactly what happened. Like, I mean, even, you know, there was a 40 or 50 yarder given on a return to the Niners. So, you know, it's that type of stuff I was thinking could be impactful. Not not literal points, not literal, you know, field goal blocks and punt blocks. Um, you know, and having 10 men on the field at the end was just the added insult. It was It was shameful stuff. Um, and the Packers, I wouldn't say deserve to lose at all because I'm behind the team 100%, but it's just, you know, this, this, the, the Packers dropped the ball here. Rodgers, LaFleur, special teams, you know, can't point fingers at the defense, uh, just the whole team. This, this was a game there for the taking. They should have won it, but they knew shit they should have won, and that's the problem. And that's where the shot comes from. So I'm going to prove that to you. Um, I'm going to play a couple of quick stings of some things Aaron Rodgers said, and you can hear the genuine shock. And to me, Again, it looked like this team, which was correct for them to do in, in a certain regard, to look past the Niners because they were so outmatched. And even the Packers, I'd say, looking at game tape before this game, knew that it was the, the game was it was going to be, should have been a blowout to the Packers, especially under the conditions and everything else. They went in too confident and you could see and hear and feel the life getting sucked out of the stadium between the fans and the players of not knowing what the hell is going on. The same as that Seahawks game. We were up, what, 17 zip? Or 17-3? And then all of a sudden they start coming back and it's that shell shock of like, I literally can't believe this happened. That's why until the final kick, it still didn't register with me that we'd actually lost the game. And there was that thing of, it actually, you go into that, it's sad really, but you go into that grieving process, you know? But anyway, here's what uh, Aaron Rodgers had to say and tell me if this doesn't sound like uh, the leader of a team who thinks you know, we, like, we'll walk this and there's other stuff in the future. So here's Sting 1. I mean, I did not think we'd be talking about this after this game, but... So we didn't think we'd talk about it. Now you look at that and go, of course, and you've seen post-match pressers before and it's always, oh, God, I can't believe we're in this position. But you can see in him, like, he, li he literally cannot get his head around it. But don't take my word for it. Here's Sting 2. A little shocking, for sure. Definitely haven't, you know, was hoping to have... You know, nice week after the NFC Championship to enjoy the lead up and and then start contemplating some things. So I haven't even haven't even uh, let the moment really sink in yet. So after all of the hoopla over last off season and the humming and hand and not coming back and gonna retire or not retire and want to be traded, all this stuff. So he was asked in that question, you know, have you thought about your future? What's the story? And he said, Oh no, you know, he literally thought he would have a week on the lead up to the Super Bowl. Now you can say, oh, Steve, like every team thinks they're going to win the Super Bowl. No, they don't. And the next thing that I'm going to play for you proves that point, right? So if that's where your head is at at the minute, like, oh, well, what's he going to say? Oh, I thought we we're going to lose. No, of course not. But you can hear in his voice, he's shocked. And also you could say, is he going to release after the game how he feels and throw the cat amongst the pigeons? The answer is no, obviously, for a couple of reasons. But it still didn't stop him, did it? He still opened his mouth and he still said a couple of things. I have a sting for that too. Um, but yeah, he, like here's a guy who had all season to think about what he wanted to do. They played so well and had such a good team, he felt around them because he said it a billion times, that he, you know, hell froze over. And what was defrosted was his relationship with Gudekunst because he finally saw what Gudekunst was trying to do. Gudekunst obviously saw it from his point of view and they came to some sort of common ground 
And Aaron Rodgers, by his own admission, truly believed that the next time he would get to sit down and think about it again, even though it's an all-year thing, and it's his future, for God's sake, and it's what all anybody can talk about, he honestly thought that he would have a week off before the Super Bowl, before he has to play that, to kind of think about it. And I don't have this thing, but he was asked, is the way the game ended, does that impact your decision? And he said, yeah, it does. So he was literally taken from left field with this. He, there was no way he thought, particularly in this game, that he would lose this game. I think the quotes would be different, the reaction would be different if he got himself into the NFC Championship game and lost there. There'd be a, that whole narrative about, oh, he can't you know, win the NFC Championship game and all that lark. But apart from that, the, the, the sheer shock of it all wouldn't have said in on him. And if you think that, oh, you just, you know, they all think they're going to win. So here's the next quote from him. In other years, it feels like sometimes you need things to go your way, but that didn't feel like this season. Felt like getting these guys back and, and the way we were playing on offense and the way we could play on defense with those guys. And obviously they played excellent tonight. You just felt like this was a team that could that could really win it and didn't need a bunch of things to go their way. We just needed to make the plays and, and uh, you know, in all three phases. And then one of the phases played excellent. Uh, we didn't have a great night and obviously special teams didn't either. So there it is. We didn't need to do anything really. Just make plays, you know, make a few plays. Don't cock up. Just, you know, we don't need anything to fall our way. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. And that was the problem. Now, I sort of looked, you know, at that whole notion when this was whole, the, the put the band back together thing, you know, when we lost a couple of players, but most of the people were back and even Cobb was back to appease Rodgers. And I said, well, what happens to a team psyche that believes that they've put the band back together, that even before the season of 17 games, that they should steamroll their way and finish business? That's a hell of a task. And in credit to the Packers and to Aaron Rodgers, and he was named MVP, rightly so. Um, they did it. They got them, did it. They got the number one seed, which is incredible. Which goes to show that their belief wasn't misplaced. It was it was right. They were right. They were right. They thought they'd put the thing back together and do well. Was there glitches? Yes. The team was decimated with injury. The O-line was, you know, a patchwork quilt the whole time. And still somehow they managed to pull out the one seed, which is absolutely incredible. This was the team. He knows it. But what I think happened was, is exactly just that. Um, and it's a confidence I had. I'm not criticizing him although I, or the team, although I do believe that that was likely their downfall. Of course, this team thought they were going to win this. Thought, Jesus, thought they were going to win the Super Bowl. We all did. That was the problem. Um, but when you have a task to do, it's easy to take your eye off the ball, which is exactly what happened. Aaron Rodgers didn't make some throws, but that's, you know, it's understandable. You're going to keep trying to go to your number one target because... I see all this balls out there as well that like, oh, this just goes to show that he doesn't trust Alan. He, of course he trusts Alan Lazard. MVS wasn't playing, you know, but he trusts these guys. Of course he does. But it, what worked earlier in the game, we thought, well, I'll just, you know, go back there. And he just didn't see the other plays that were open. But there's a great breakdown by Kurt Warner on YouTube, which shows him going through and breaking down the reads that Aaron's making. And, you know, most of the time you can barely fault the guy. So it's a little bit rich to jump on one or two plays. And you might go, well, that's the difference there with teams. Of course it is. But it's play calling. It's becoming conservative. It's it's clamming up when someone fumbles the ball, you know. So I don't entirely put that down to Aaron Rodgers. Although I will say, and he will say, of course he's the blame. <laughs> he's the ball, you know. Um, so that's why it's a little bit hard to swallow. But I think, you know, the, the crux of it really for me is that all of these things came together. And here was a team who thought that, you know, they'd walk the Niners. Um, and, you know, they, they, they were so clearly the underdogs, the Niners in this game. 
Um, and there was so much going for the Packers. And there was so much, as Daryl said in the last pod, pixie dust around this whole thing that you could just sort of crack on, get over this game, get over the hump of, you know, it's it's crazy. Like, it's like, you know, always crashing on one corner in a video game. And you're only going to focus on that corner. Then you don't realize that it's the corner before that actually ends up tripping you up this time. And that's exactly what happened. You kind of looked past the opponent and that's everybody's fault, including coaching. And you have to th- think about, oh, coming off a bye, does that actually benefit the Packers and all this type of lark? Um, but look, Aaron Rodgers, what, was practicing once a week. So to do with rust and all that kind of stuff, you know, against a Niners team that was so banged up, um, it's complete balls. Um, but anyway, so he goes on Pat McAfee show. And before I talk about his comment about the rebuild, and I'm not piling on Aaron Rodgers here because I completely, I'm probably going to, you know, come at this from a completely different angle um, to most people. But, he, you know, he went on the McAfee show again and some nice insights. But then um, he turns around and, and talks about, you know, people only tuning in because of the vaccine and that, that he wasn't vaccinated and all this type of stuff. Um, and this is his exact quote then when it comes to that type of criticism. Uh, the vitriol, the hatred, those words. I'll be honest, I've been insulated from it. I haven't I haven't seen a lot of it. I know it's out there. I'm sure it's out there. But um, I do... Uh... So there, I mean, you know, the thing is, about this quote, yeah, he's right, because as Pat McAfee says, you know, the covid stuff and the, what was it, throw Rogan or some lame joke out there, right? So there was the usual asshats who were going to come out and say all of that. Um, but by his own admission, here's a guy who doesn't see most of it and he is insulated from it all. So to come on and go on these, like, my body, my rights and, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement quotes to do with mask wearing... Um, which seems, you know, relatively trivial based on the other stuff that's going on. And then to come out and say, like, oh, well, mostly I don't see it. Like, you know, you have to understand the viewpoint that he's coming from here as well. Here's a guy who's woken up by an alarm clock. He is a private chef who cooks his food for him. He has Tom Fanning who feeds him select things that he thinks he needs to see because sports is all about a certain psyche. So I'm not going to comment any further on it or I don't, give a damn if he's vaccinated or not vaccinated any of that type of stuff doesn't bother me i've said that before uh much the chagrin of some people who take a really hard line stance i don't care right um i understand the hesitancy for him uh, everyone is entitled to their own research you know and some people go over the top with it and say oh he's going to you know coughing on reporters trying to murder their families which is just complete nonsense and bollocks right so i'm not going to get into that but what i would say is is that his own by his own admission here um it just reminds me of people who go on facebook and there was one girl in particular, and she says, oh, people always ask me, how do I say, stay so strong? And I asked her about it once. I said, who who asks you this question? And she goes, oh, well, they don't. I just wanted to say. So she just used it as a tool to sound off um, because Aaron thinks he's a different, you know, he's left field and he, he subscribes to this sort of woke mob mentality, which it is out there. Um, and he's taken a stance and he thinks that more people are probably against him than they are or maybe people are against him but how much is he actually basing that on the stuff that he saw well according to himself he doesn't really see a whole lot of it so the next time and I know people are out there saying oh I can't believe he's playing the victim again the next time that stuff comes up just bear in mind that you know the stuff that he does see um, is a lot different so he probably doesn't see an awful lot of positive stuff or negative stuff he probably sees a very select amount so then, from what he says after that point, you know, you can have an opinion on that. But this is the one that everybody's clamoring for, and it's this whole uh, quote about the rebuild. 
that's just uh, rejog your memory on that one. You know, so many guys' contracts are, are up or on the brink or salary cap stuff. So a lot of decisions to be made. I don't want to be a part of a rebuild uh, if, you know, if I'm going to keep playing. So uh, a lot of decisions, you know, in the next couple of months. So a lot of hoopla has been made about, I don't want to be part of a rebuild and they're pointing at him like he's selfish and all this type of stuff. Look, he understands the Packers are going to do what's best for them. They don't probably particularly care. They're, they'll be empathetic and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, it's a business. And they all know that. The NFL is a business. So he understands that. He's got something like two, $286 million or something from the Packers over his contract. So he's got a quarter of a billion quid. So he's not hard up. And so he understands his agent's going to go in and play hardball. He's going to play hardball. The organization's going to do it as well. The Packers don't care. So if they go out and draft Jordan Love because they want him to be the successor, it's kind of just like, you know, deal with it, Rogers. This is what we're doing. And similarly, so he's well entitled, in my opinion, uh, to think about himself and all that kind of stuff. He's a Californian kid. Yes, he spent time in Green Bay. And I'm sure he loves the fans and all this type of stuff. You know, but I mean, <laughs> he's not going to base his decision on, on what you know, Mary in uh, Sheboygan thinks he should do. He's going to do whatever he wants to do and what's best for him and his family and all that, which makes sense to me if he wants to... Do I do I want him to do it? No. Uh, do I want him to go to Florida or Denver or any of these places? Of course not. You know, you can take a, a stance of, well, if he was a diva or if he was this, that and the other, well, then it's the team over everything. And I truly believe that. Um, and an awful lot of the stuff is based on sort of anecdotal evidence or perceived notions of who somebody is, right? So, I get it. But at the same time, here's a guy who's 38. Um, you know, Drew Brees fell off a cliff. Tom Brady, people are just amazed that he's still playing. He's the outlier, obviously. You know, and if you have that much success, he won the damn Super Bowl last year. Well, then, of course, you keep playing. So, will Aaron Rodgers do the same? I don't know. He's playing at an MVP level, so he's still got plenty of juice left. And the only... Th Why did Mercedes Lewis not retire? is because he truly believed that Green Bay had a shot of winning the Super Bowl, and that's why he's sticking around. Um, Randall Cobb came back, and what's the difference between the Texans and Green Bay? You might go, well, Steve, that's obvious. But again, he talks about getting a championship ring, and a lot of that's to do with Rodgers and his rapport with Rodgers and all this type of stuff. And, of course, that whole spiel about Rodgers going back uh, to be satisfied by it. Um, Whitney Marcellus came out, and uh, Devondra Campbell came out, and they were all sort of said like, oh, look, these guys are on the trash heap, and that's why they, their only option was Green Bay. Both of those players came out and said that wasn't the case. They had offers from elsewhere, but they decided to come to Green Bay because they thought they had a legitimate shot. As a player gets older, the Super Bowl, as important as it is to all players always, becomes the sole you know, goal for an awful of these players where they'll take pay cuts and all that kind of stuff. Now... People are criticizing Rogers, saying, oh, well, he should take less money if he really, if he truly wanted. You know, you're just projecting your stuff onto him, saying that he should not value money, which is very easy for you to say because you're not around the table, you know? Um, so look, I understand, I completely understand what he's saying. And I, I don't particularly understand the hate thrown at his a 38-year-old quarterback who's just put in a back-to-back -back MVP season about wanting to go somewhere where he can win the Super Bowl. But then that comes down to you know, and that, that was off the back of that question. He was asked, do you think you have the tools in Green Bay to, to win a Super Bowl? And if Devontae goes, his number one target, you know, the likelihood of that does lessen quite a bit, you know, because before Devontae, you had Jordy and Randall was doing his business before them. It was Donald Driver and Greg Jennings and, you know, he's Jermichael Finley. So he's had tools that he needed to go the full hog. 
by his own admission, he needed stuff to fall his way, but he still had the tools that he needed. Now, Tunyon's, as in his admission, Tunyon's coming up. Back to Harry, we don't know what's happening with his injury and all that. That's a talk for another day. Um, Devontae Adams, obviously, he's causing the best receiver in the league. He's right. Um, you know, he's gone. So he says he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. How does that not make sense? And I know as a Packers fan that hurts in the in the bejeebies or wherever, right? Um, but at the same time, look, the dude wants a chance to, to get another ring if Green Bay are going to full rebuild mode. Um, that's partly, it's, again, you're, they're going to point the finger, that's partly Rogers' fault because the money he's getting. If you want a, a back-to-back MVP quarterback, you have to pay him. And that's what the Packers are doing. And anybody who thinks that LaFleur would be as successful without Aaron Rodgers, and as sexy as it is, because I always ask people that question, like, is it LaFleur's scheme? Is it his scheme? Is that what it is? But we all know, right? And you can want Aaron Rodgers out because of his vaccination status. You can want him out because you think he's selfish. You can want him out because whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, once an Aaron Rodgers leaves your team, the chances of success dip quite dramatically. Now, I'm not saying Jordan Love's not going to be a player. Um, I'm always behind the team and I'm excited to see what Jordan could do if that's what the Packers decide to do. Because the thing is, is that it has to end sometime. You know, whether it's two years too early or it's a year too late, all of this has to come to an end sometime. Aaron Rodgers is 38. This thing's going to come crashing down in some way. You know, even if he, so him and Gudekunst are great buds, he takes a pay cut. They do salary cap uh, wizardry and he comes back for four more years. They let love go or they find some way to miraculously keep him which doesn't seem likely with the position he went in the draft and the money they have to pay him and all that kind of stuff you know so they keep Aaron Rodgers it's still not guaranteed success and it still comes to an end and if the if success is measured on failure or success if it's measured on Super Bowl wins then you can have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers you can have a quarterback an MVP quarterback back to back you know, one of the one of the only people in the NFL that is capable of doing it, particularly now. And you can have him on your team, but you still can't win a Super Bowl. And you can put that down at a defense or a special teams or a coach or whatever. And you can place blame on everybody. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, whether you're driving a Lada or you're driving a Ferrari um, and you still aren't capable of winning a race, then does it matter what you're driving now? It matters as a fan for fan enjoyment and pulling your hair out. And you only have to ask someone who has a crappy quarterback, you know, what that pain is like week in and week out. But you know, there comes a stage, and that's why the question I always ask on social is, what do you prefer? Do you prefer to get blown out in a game so that you're like, oh, we didn't stand a chance from the start? Or do you prefer to lose a game like we did against the Niners or the Seahawks or the Cardinals? You know, I mean, or the books. Which one do you prefer? Because either way, it's, it ends up the same, right? It's still one in the L column. So do you want to get your heart ripped out right to the last minute? Or do you want to feel like we just weren't up to the task this year? Now, the obvious answer is, is of course, it's painful. You only have to talk to fans in the 70s and the 80s and the early part of the 90s before Favre came and the rest is history. But at the same time, we have the MVP and we still can't get it done. You know, and it will come to an end at some stage. Look at the Patriots. Now, they didn't end up that bad. They ended off in the playoffs. They got blown out. Um, So it is that. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we elongate it and we bring him back. Like, how many times do you keep going back to your ex before you have to move on? And things might never be the same and they might never be as good. Uh, but at the end of the thing, this is life. This is cyclical. It's going to end in some guys. So then... 
on the same token, how can people say he can come out with a quote like, I don't want to be in another rebuild? And then Nathaniel Hackett, our offensive coordinator, has now got the job for the Denver Broncos, who won seven games, seven and ten. They won seven games this year. And how can you, and they're bringing in him. Now they're talking about defensive coordinator. Now they're talking about offensive coordinator, a whole new staff. So Nathaniel Hackett is kind of in the position that Matt LaFleur was in the sense that, you know, he didn't really call plays. He's seen as an offensive genius. And Nathaniel Hackett is a fantastic coach. And that's not coming from me. That's coming from Rogers. That's coming from Matt LaFleur and everybody in the building. So you can hands down say he's a large part of the success in Green Bay. Definitely a contributor. Because anytime they had to knock heads, it was LaFleur, it was Hackett, it was Getze, um, it was Stenovich, and it was Rogers. And they're all sitting in it was this massive brains trust. So he's going to be a massive loss to the Packers. However, um, Josh McDaniels was seen as the golden child at one stage. He crashed and burned. And where did he go? <laughs> the Broncos. But anyway, um, so look, all the best to Nathaniel Hackett. But if you truly believe that a whole new coaching staff, a whole new D coordinator of a team that only got seven wins isn't in some guise a rebuild in itself. Well, then I think you're slightly delusional. Look at the Packers. So the Packers were six and nine on McCarthy's last stint. And they've went 13 and three, or 13 and four ever since. And you would argue that it, that wasn't a rebuild. Um, they kept the same defensive coordinator. They got an offensive mind in who re-jagged up the... Jazzed up, jagged up. I suppose he came from the Jags at some stage. Um, Nathaniel Hackett did. So he comes in and he gets a new coaching staff, takes the core players that he kind of has, adds some really important pieces like Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary starts to come on, Preston Smith, you know, um, brings those players in and then all of a sudden, you know, we're up there on the 13-3. and three. So if you think that a brand new head coach, never been head coach before, has never really called plays and oh. You can point to, oh, well, he called plays in that game and that was out and blah, 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 whatever. Um, but he still has done it. And yes, Aaron Rodgers is your coach on the field and all that kind of stuff. I just wonder in Aaron Rodgers' head, because that's all that really matters here is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, is that in his head, does he see going to a different team, especially a crappy team who need a quarterback as somewhat as a rebuild? Now, I don't think that the reason for failure with the Niners was his lack of trust in Alan Lazard because we've seen him go to him time and time again. Um, and yes, he missed him on a, a couple of throws, but you know that's water under the bridge now at this point. What's the what's the point banging on about it? Um, and if Aaron Rodgers has trust issues and he'll only go to Devontae, it makes sense he brings Devontae with him, of course. But you still end up with the same problem, do you not? You go into a new system, and of course Hackett is going to be sort of a rollover of uh, schemes, maybe the exact same scheme, maybe the exact same concept. You know, there's all this talk about that usually LaFleur is not running his own playbook, he's running Hackett's playbook. So he brings his playbook with him, and there's a lot of carryover, and there's not that much to learn, but he still has to form relationships with his other receivers. And if you look at Tom Brady, he'll bring his receivers out, and he'll practice with them, and he'll make superstars out of no-names as well and you know that's because of that off-season work and we've seen that in Tom Brady's documentary Aaron Rodgers came out last year which I found interesting and said that he'll work with receivers who show interest in wanting to work with him so he doesn't seem to be the guy now maybe that'll change obviously if he goes to a different team but he's never been in that position because Aaron Rodgers has never done this before he's came out of college he sat for three years behind uh, a first ballot hall of fame or took what 12 seconds to get him into the hall of fame and then he come onto the pitch and he's been the same place ever since uh, he came up under McCarthy, 
uh, he made a success of him. Then he moved to Matt LaFleur and they made a success of each other. So he's never been in the position to have to change teams. And we all know he loves his stats, be it good or bad. I'm not going to like try, you know, sully his name by saying that's all he cares about, blah, blah, blah. But we know his stats are important to him and his interception rate is ridiculous. So is he really going to go to a team who are effectively rebuilding when he's just after coming out and saying he doesn't want to be involved in a rebuild? I think that comment is more aimed at the Packers to say, what can you bring back for me, for me to come back to the team? And I know some people are like, oh, don't sort of, you know, get your back up by this guy again and let him rule the roost and all this kind of stuff. And I would say the people that want to move on and feel it's time to move on because we're going to have to eventually. And there is merit in that. Um, doesn't mean that and this is what's really sick about the anti-fan and I had an anti-fan attack me some weirdo attacked me after the game because I was believing in the team the The weird thing about these anti-fans are is that their justification to that then is saying oh if you're wishing for Rodgers to go well then I hope you enjoy the fact that we're going to suck for that's not what that person's saying they don't want the team to suck but they just see the team as a bigger thing and Rodgers is not going to last forever and if you're going to move on they feel it's time to move on now and they have a reason for that. And they're not saying Jordan Love's going to be great. They're just saying that they're interested to see what they have in him. Um, no one's no one's under the illusion that the Packers are going to be worse off. Love might develop into a great player. Matt LaFleur might come up with ways to win games. And um, if we're going to win and be successful, it's just going to be different. It's not going to be the Rodgers way. It's going to be the LaFleur way. Um, and, it, you know, there's other ways to win games apart from relying on Aaron Rodgers. And there's pros and cons to that. But just by wanting to move this thing forward and championing the team to be behind them at whatever they do. You know, and then you get all these anti-fans coming out and saying like, oh yeah, well, I hope you're happy then when we're crap. And you're like, oh, what type of weird fan are you? You know, to kind of be like, you know, then it kind of absolves it. It's those people that don't vote in elections and then blame the person who voted for the wrong guy. You know, and they're like, well, I didn't vote, so I can't be blamed, but you are blamed because you did it. You pulled the trigger on it. And I was like, oh, you do realize the fans don't have any say, right? And yes, there are people out there that don't like Rodgers now from the stuff that's come out over the past while and want him sh- gone and shot for that. And not literally shot, but just gone from the building, you know, get shot of him. Um, and that's fine. They're entitled to their opinion, but it certainly doesn't mean that they're at fault then if the Packers falter. Um, you know, if that's what your thought process is, it's a pretty strange place to be inside your face. But yeah, so that's just interesting to me that people can say, you know, he doesn't want to be on a rebuild, but any team that he goes to is effectively going to have to rebuild around him. And he's, he's on borrowed time. So I think Rodgers, and it, look, it's, I think it's in the Packers' best interest and it's in Rodgers' best interest to try get something done where weapons are brought back, you have a legitimate opportunity again. And I think Gurukun's in credit to him, has shown Rodgers, obviously, because Rodgers is coming out name-dropping him. He wouldn't even mention him before. And now he's dropping him and saying like, you know, because his quote was, the grass is greener where you tend to it, where you water it. And that's, you know, it seems to be what he's done with Gudekons. I believe, and this is based off nothing now, and this is where I start, you know, going into the, the farcical. But I believe that there's probably, uh, not based on that apart from simple psychology, I guess, body language expert again. But this makes sense to me. De- debunk me if you want. It makes sense to me that Rogers would be apprehensive and almost scared to go somewhere else. Because he's got to trust a whole set of new guys. He's older and old dog and new tricks and all that kind of stuff. He's been through a rebuild before. He's had to learn new terminology on the mat the floor. The first year was great. The second year he felt like he really sat into it. Rogers knows if he moves, he's going to have to take at least that first year to settle down into things. He's not going to be able to rely on his defense. 
like he did the first year Matt LaFleur came in under Mike Pettin and you can moan about how that wasn't great but at least there wasn't that sort of change and at least when they moved to Joe Barry the fundamentals were there and there was just a couple of tweaks it's that stability that they need so if Rodgers is going to move I don't know in his head if it makes sense to move to a place that's going to take a year or so to get used to anyway uh, it's an awful lot easier for him because you know he's back-to-back MVP but I wonder does he think is that because of LaFleur and how that suits him and how Green Bay suits him and how he's comfortable there and how he's good at playing in Lambeau and all this kind of stuff you know so I wonder is that a consideration for him too it's an interesting thing to ponder but anyway that's um, my take on the shenanigans that's been going on there'll be loads of uh, good exciting podcasts um, some good guests coming up we're going to sort of recap the season and look ahead and all that kind of stuff there'll be no clutching at straws here there'll be no trash content not unless what you just listen to you believe is trash but that's up to you um yeah so we're going to keep it going anyway uh the Raz are going to keep going uh during the off season and i just posted out the stuff there this uh today um you know after i got over that dark cloud of the packers loss and there'll be another one coming up as well uh, if you want to get involved with those assigned march draws if not we're going to keep the podcast going and i'm excited then as well because we're going to have peter our draft expert and senior analyst here at uk packers uh, with his whopper of a draft guide coming back again this season he's working away hard on it so i'm very excited to get pete on because like i said previous podcasts having a rashers about the salary cap and i won't bore people trying to delve in and out of, of figures you know ken ingles is good for that peter's good for that um, and when it comes to the draft you know i pick out a certain amount of players that catch my eye uh, jonathan taylor was one cooper cup was another um kevin king was one when he was serviceable um so you know otherwise i go to the experts like andy davies or or peter um jones and that kind of stuff as well so that's why it's great to have pete on uh to walk us down and um you know give us some guidance on that so there it is i've been at ddd nfl we'll be back in full swing when daryl stops weeping in russian um on the next podcast so we're down to one podcast a week so it's something for you to look forward to hopefully and we'll talk to you next week <laughs>